Hello and welcome to North 100, a Canadian Highlander podcast. I'm Serge. Joining me today, I have a wheeler. Good evening. And a reminder that this podcast is brought to you by you with your support of the Patreon over at patreon.com slash loading ready run. Welcome to part three of our Crimson Vow set release. Today, we're going to be covering green, gold, lands, and artifacts. A reminder that our set reviews are not exhaustive. We review these cards from a Canadian Highlander point of view, and we only talk about the cards that we think are either going to be interesting to the format or interesting to talk about. Without further ado, Wheeler, start us off. Thank you, Serge. Ascendant Pack Leader. It's a dog. It's a one-mana 2-1 wolf, and it enters the battlefield with a 1-1 counter on it if you control a permanent with mana value 4 or greater. And whenever you cast a spell with mana value 4 or greater, you put a 1-1 counter on it. I gotta tell you, if I if I took a time machine back to show this card off to my younger self, I, would, I wouldn't believe it. This is wild. This is a very powerful card. I like playing it in an aggressive deck. I like playing it in... Potentially in tempo decks too, like bl- like the black green, like black mold style deck. Like this card's best friends with Gurmag Angler. It grows bigger. It, it's kind of got Pelt Collector slash Hex Drinker vibes. Well, I want to ask about that really quickly. Are you playing this card because you think it's a growth threat? Or are you playing this card because it's a two mana? Uh, it's a two one for one. I think there are some decks that'll play it for you know one of those. Yeah. I don't, yes, yes. Oh, all right, it slices and dices. It does, yeah. There are decks that want it because it's a jackal pup. There are decks that want it because it gets bigger when you play, you know, bigger things and because it's at least a jackal pup. And then some decks that will do both. <laughs> cool. Next up, we have Cartographer's Survey. This is a four mana sorcery for three and a green and says, look at the top seven cards of your library. Put up to two land cards from amongst them onto the battlefield tapped. Let me be very clear here. Two lands, non-basic lands, and onto the battlefield, not into your hand. And then put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. This is this is potentially very spicy. Now, obviously, there is a downside, which is you can miss. But the upside is non-basic land. And I re- this is where I'm really missing Jer. I mean, obviously, you know, counterspell ev- evaluation is where he shines. But when it comes to evaluating which ramp spells you want, specifically an escape shift deck, I think I think this is where his expertise would go because four is that sweet spot, those two, those two land tutors, right? That he's hitting. I think this card's worth trying. Yeah. And I think this is definitely has to go in the sort of deck that has a higher density of lands rather than one that's playing sort of in like the mid 30 range and you're hoping to make most of your land drops off of casting spells. Like if you're playing Treasure Hunt, oh god, Treasure Hunt and this would be besties. I mean, anybody that has resolved Dig Through Time will understand, you know, when you look at so many cards, when you look at seven cards, at minimum two of those cards are always lands. And it's, <laughs> you know, the it's more commonly just five of them. And yeah, I, th- I think this is kind of fine. I, I do have one little bit of trivia that I would like to flex if that's oh, okay. please, please. This is Cartographer's Survey. And uh, the card is uh, illustrated by Donato Giancola, who also did the artwork for the card Cartographer. Oh. Yeah, so that's it. Very cool trivia. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, let me redeem myself. Here's Cemetery Prowler. It's one green green for a 3-4 wolf. It's got vigilance. And when it enters the battlefield or attacks, you exile a card from a graveyard. And spells you cast cost one less to cast for each card type they share with cards exiled with Cemetery Prowler. 
So this is just like the evolution of Death George Scavenger. This, this is absurd, right? Yeah, it's yeah. I mean, the three drop slot is super bloated, and it's so funny to say, but four doesn't you know doesn't do what it used to do. Four toughness doesn't always get you where you want to be, but this does slap. It's it's a big <laughs> enough butt to be annoying. It's exile is at least you know again it doesn't target that's the cool thing about all these cards i say cool but i'm fuming it doesn't target <laughs> they just get the picket the cost reduction doesn't really matter as much because i mean well you're a green deck anyways you probably have some form of acceleration yeah. but it's not nothing it's mostly just i foresee this card finding a home in decks with uh, you know potentially with umezawa's gta or cards like dromoka's command and whatnot and so that big booty holding a gta and vigilance is uh nasty extra nasty yeah. Next up, we have the Cultivator Colossus. This is a seven mana star star plant beast for four green, green, green. It has trample and its power and toughness are equal to the number of lands that you control. Then when it enters the battlefield, you may put a land card from your hand onto the battlefield tapped. If you do, draw a card and repeat this process. This card is kind of boring up until that last <laughs> sentence which is draw a card and repeat that process. This has some uh, pretty serious pop-off potential. Yeah. Let's be real. Like, Ben, you and I, we both tried to live the Terravore dream, right? The countryside crusher dream. Tried and failed. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I, think, I think most of the time it's failed. Well, have you wanted to try again, but for seven mana? I'll never stop trying. Yeah. Yeah. I think realistically this card is... Not quite there, but I really want it to be. Is that fair? Yeah, I think I, I've been looking at this card a lot. And I think that even if we figure out you know, like it's there, like you play it and it does its thing and you win the game with it. I don't know how accurate of an assessment you're going to get. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's still just a like, and maybe that's fine. Maybe it's just <laughs> this gigantic mythic trampler that ramps you, draws you a bunch of cards, one shots them, but we never truly tap into the potential of Cultivator Colossus. And that's okay. Like, I think that if you play it, you are likely either going to win or it's going to do nothing. Yeah. Or you just, or it'll just get stuck in your hand, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. It does yeah. it does have the same kind of vibe as have you ever just like popped off with oh crap. Five mana, green black. Thalia? Yeah, eats Thalia. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, get rog. Get rog. The get rog monster. Oh my god, I can't believe I missed that. I was like, it was right there on the tip of my tongue. <laughs> Not where the get rock monster is fine, but where you have like nine cards in hand and you go to your end step and you're able to create a loop where you discard a land, draw a card, have to go to cleanup, and you're able to cycle through like a huge chunk of your deck. Have you lived that dream before? I have, and it's glorious. It's glorious, right? But that is not the normal experience you have when you play the Gitrog monster. Most of the time, it's just like a pretty good threat. It does an okay job of doing like some cute things with lands. It draws like a card, and then your opponent kills it. I imagine Cultivator Colossus is going to be that, but worse. There's going to yeah. be the, like the one or two times in your entire magic career where it pops up and it's unbeatable. And for the rest of the time, you're probably better off not playing it. It, at least with the Gitrog too, you can kind of, if you find yourself hitting a little bit of a speed bump, because the all the abilities are separate, you can kind of pick it up as you go along. Mm. You're like, uh-oh, I ran out of gas. I guess I'll, okay, now I'll cast in Tomb or Ponder. And yeah, then yeah, do yeah. It. This all has to happen at once. Yeah. There's no real intervening. So yeah, I mean, I'll, I, I imagine you and I will both play this. <laughs> 
but at least we'll give it a shot. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fair. Another card that I think maybe we will both play this. I know certainly I will. No pressure to put a lay the land in your deck though. Dig up. It's a one green sorcery with cleave for one black, black, and a green. The green version of this, the mono green, is search your library for a basic land and put it into your hand. And then if you paid the cleave cost, it's search your library for a card and put it into your hand. <laughs> <laughs> so it's either a lay the land or it's a diabolic tutor, a four mana tutor. Goblin Charvelcher is a real deck. It's not, it's, it's kind of funny and memey to think about as well. And maybe I'm just like the tired performer where somebody's like, say the line, Ben. And I'm like, belch you and everybody cheers. But like, it is just a real deck. This is a deck that can win matches of magic. It's goofy. It's silly. It somehow does not play like any of the Zendikar double face modal lands. It doesn't need to, mm. but it does play lay the lands. And that's kind of hilarious. All right, real, real quick. What is lay the lands here? So lay the lands are, there's a card called lay the land it's a green sorcery for one green and you just search for a basic land and put it into your hand and there's okay. a whole bunch of variations of them that have slightly different effects but it's basically you find your basic however mm. i want to play this in a deck that has nine lands <laughs> and also just plays every demonic tutor under the sun and so having a lay the land that yeah i'd play this already that could also just later find my tendrils of agony or my yogmoss will or my goblin charbelcher that sounds pretty good to me but i also think this is like reasonable fair applications right like well i was curious about that because every deck wants to play demonic tutor right like the tutor part's a no-brainer but finding the decks that actually care about lay the land is is what's what's curious to me mm -hmm. but i think the cost is i mean I wouldn't be shocked if this only shows up like in a couple of non, like in one or two non combo ish decks. Well, here's a great question. Uh, does the rock play this? I think so. Yeah. Like they care enough about making early land drops that they're happy to, to cast yeah. it for the one side and late game, they could get any of their eight bajillion like came ending threats or sweepers blood, or whatever. Blood moon and back to basics still exist. And like, that is typically a deck that can deal with the enchantments and whatnot. But between, you know, those decks that play those cards also often just having a force of wills, it's, it's just safer to get the basics. Mm. And so you could play it early on to just smooth out your draws. And if you draw it then you can just tutor up something spicy. It's just free. The cost of playing this is just a slot in your deck. And that's fiercely competitive. But for something like this in a deck where you're already like, well, I guess I could put another removal spell or another <laughs> hand attack spell, you know, it, it might be worth adding something like this. Right on. Next up, we have Hamlet Vanguard. This is a three mana, one, one human soldier for two and a green. Ancient tomb mana. Mm. It has ward two which is Ancient Tomb. <laughs> mm. And it also reads, when it enters the battlefield, pardon me, enters the battlefield with two plus one plus one counters on it for each other non-token human that you control. Mm. And I I don't think this card does enough. Yeah. I, I think <laughs> it's, I think everybody could evaluate this card from its upside, but I even think just a three mana three three with ward, which is maybe maybe is fine. I don't know. Maybe that's the middle of the road take. With how competitive all of the threats are in in Canadian Highlander, that's not enough. And maybe you'll live the dream, and it'll come into play as like, but what? Sorry, maybe you drop it on turn three, and it's a five five or something like that. Even then, I don't know. I don't even know if I love it in an all in human tribal deck. I just think it's too expensive. It feels like a gladiator card. 
Sure. Yeah. No, I think that's fair. Yeah. And and I think it does have some rumblings of playing it in Canlander. Lord knows I've tried to put it in humans lists, but then I just ended up I I cut it at the end. I wouldn't fault people for trying it out for new no, toy not syndrome. At all. Not at all. But yeah, it, it to me it feels like it's not doing enough, you know. Well, the other thing is what what is your ideal time to play this? You don't want to accelerate into it. Like this is not great on a mox draw. Right. Mm -hmm. Even though it has ancient tomb mana, you don't want it coming down on ancient tomb turn. Yeah. yeah the, the later, like the later you want to wait to play something like this, the more of an impact you hope it has. But that also means if you get wrath and you wait too long, that it does nothing as well. It's truly just like a, you got a pie in the oven or something and you keep peeking at it. You know, it's like it's not super good way late, but it's not good super early. Yeah. You need to get it just right. And then yeah. there's somebody with Thalia's lieutenant who's just like, I, they'll be done where they're done. Yeah. And they're just, you yeah. know, living their life. It's not a good high roll, but you know what is a good high roll, sir? Go on. Hellpack Piper. Oh. Uh, it's three and a green for a 2 2. It's a human werewolf, and this spell can't be countered. It has Daybound, of course, but it also has an ability of pay one and a green tap. You may put a creature card from your hand onto the battlefield. If it's a wolf or a werewolf, untap it. Activate it only as a sorcery. I don't know how often that's happening. But on the flip side, you have Wild Song Howler. And that's the Nightbound version, which becomes a 4-4 and says, whenever this creature enters the battlefield or transforms into Wild Song Howler, look at the top six cards of your library. You may reveal a creature card from among them and put it into your hand and put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. I think if you are going to try and high roll in a creature deck, like an Elvish Piper gets the you know the haha timmy card but wow do they ever kill you like if you don't kill an elvish piper it's this it's like the dread of not killing their fauna shaman times a yeah million. yeah yeah <laughs> like it's just oh no you're like why'd i let them untap with this <laughs> yeah and and i mean they're fragile right like i think the beefiest version of the four mana elvish piper variants is champion of ronus and that's just a three three and so they're all going to die to like a stiff breeze but <laughs> the density and the type of deck you're playing where you already just kind of uh, assume that everything dies to fork bolt or whatnot i think the hyrule potential is there and it's kind of devastating and it also well, just lets you play like you could play regal force in your in your hoof deck or your like opposition deck i was gonna ask where 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 are you playing these effects now like is there a bug sneaking show pardon me a rug sneaking show where you're trying to or teamer i guess as the kids call it i, where you're I trying think... to hide this or is this more of a mid-range like you just mentioned hoof right yeah i i think that i am playing this in a deck with a bunch of lanoir elves but like i also just want either Crater Hoof Behemoth or Opposition in my deck. Like, I don't want to get too fancy and, sure. and seeing them as like sneak attack variants because I want them to have some utility if I don't have a big thing in my hand. And even like yeah, using did. this to get out like an Eternal Witness or the Timeless Witness or whatever is is not the yeah, end of the okay. world. Right. Use it as a as a ether vial as opposed to like a sneak and show. Yeah, like mm -hmm. I want the floor to be that this at least adds an extra mana to Gaia's Cradle, can hold a Skull Clamp, or can I can use it with Opposition and tap down their land. You know what's super funny? As you talk about this, I'm thinking less of Highlander and more of Cube. Like, yeah. You're making me a picture of this card in a Legacy Cube, which again, speaks to its power level, but I, I still... I, I, I don't disagree with you. I just personally am not as high on this card. 
Oh yeah, it's. I think it's admittedly an untapped market in Canlander. <laughs> Nobody has the courage to to sleeve them up. Yeah, you hear that chat? You're all cowards. Yeah, you're all cowards, dear dear listener. You're all cowards. And uh, somebody post some list, please. <laughs> yeah, you can tag. This is the one time I'll tell people they can bother me on Twitter directly. Tag <laughs> me in any pictures of you destroying your opponents with Elvish Pipers. Bonus points for Norwood Priestess or Halpack Piper. Amazing. <laughs> All right. Yo, Wheeler, why don't you take the next card? Because I know you have more to say about it than I do. I could. I won't give you a TED talk, but it's called Massive Might. It's uh, one green. It's an instant. Target creature gets plus two, plus two, and gains trample until end of turn. Full stop. We have been waiting so long to get a one mana trampler spell that is reasonable for infect or for like a blitz deck in canlander we got one in strixhaven called crash through that doesn't modify power and toughness but it does draw a card that's okay more so for the blitz decks but really if i'm playing infect or if i'm really just gearing up to throw a berserk on a wild nacodle or what uh, whatever it's not doing enough and there's like a you know we've had one mana plus one plus one or like a two mana version but this is the most trimmed version of it that does everything you want and as somebody that updated infect somewhat recently because wow did the creatures have you know are bad and will always be bad but my god has the utility protection and you know pump spells just become so so much better next up we have reclusive taxidermist this is a two mana one two human druid for one and a green and says the taxidermist gets plus three plus two as long as there are four or more creature cards in your graveyard and then tap to add one mana of any color. I was kind of on board until it said creature cards in your graveyard. That's so many. That's so That's many. So many. This is not a werebear. This is not a goif. And I, I, I can see a lot of people who would look at this card and immediately make those comparisons. But it's look, it's easy to get other cards into your graveyard we've got fetches we've got cantrips we've got removal spells we've got your own stuff dying but creatures in particular means that by the time this card actually gets going i think it's going to be pretty late unless you're playing like a dedicated self-mill deck in which case you probably want better cards than the reclusive taxidermist and i think the nearest comparison to this might be werebear our mm -hmm. beloved werebear and for the people who don't know Werebear is a two mana one one human bear druid for one into green. It taps only to add green, but threshold. So it gets th plus three, plus three, as long as there are seven cards, seven cards of any type. Now, Werebear is a standout index like Sorensen, where it, you know, it does a good job in the early game of giving you a little bit of mana, just being a body. And in the late game is this amazing threat that crushes and kills. But in Sorensen, your counterspells, your cantrips, whatever else is is getting there, it's filling your graveyard. So it's going to be a lot faster than creatures, which I don't even know if a game of Sorensen has ever had four creatures in a graveyard in the history of, of Highlander. It's overwhelming just to think about it. <laughs> I, I give this card a pass. I think it's interesting. I can see why a lot of people might be excited about it, but I am I am less excited about That's it. That's so many creatures, dude. <laughs> <laughs> so many creatures. Yeah. Speaking of so many, Uvenwald Oddity, as in that's so much damage. That's so many damage. Anyways, it's two green green for a 4-4 trample haste beast. And then it has pay five green green transform Uvenwald Oddity. And when you transform it, it turns into Uvenwald Behemoth. What? Which is now an 8-8 beast horror 
with trample and haste and says other creatures <laughs> you control get plus one plus one and have trample and haste oh yeah so this card's really i i think this card's quite good it i'm certainly playing this in medium green but that deck i that deck is it plays things that i absolutely shouldn't like this is just a good card right <laughs> yeah uh, accelerating it out just kills people dead and then there's that mana sink but then i kind of just sat and stared at it and thought to myself i sh- maybe in cradle hoof i was gonna say is this the is this the fourth hoof now well, I think it just fills the slot of the third hoof. I think okay. hoof decks, I mean, it always feels, I, I feel like the smartest player in the room when I fierce empath for a decimator of provinces <laughs> uh, and then I emerge off the fierce empath. Yeah, and, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and like I recall, you know, I remember having like Facebook messenger conversations, group chat messages where I'm like, no, here's the math on this line to get it out, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> but this kind of just does it a bit better and also provides something really interesting that hoof doesn't really ha- doesn't have that many of a good four drop mm. like you could play questing beast and hoof decks which is totally reasonable but like a mono green four drop in that deck thrun it's 2021 people <laughs> i had to double check <laughs> poor thrun poor thrun yeah so like if your hoof deck ends up playing and this could go for like any variant really whatever your splash may be if you drop this on turn four and you play this alongside questing beast as like this is your four drop that lets you kill planeswalkers or provide a threat that isn't just little you know elves laughing and dancing that gives you something to eldritch evolution into prime time into your sixes which is huge and did not really exist that also you're just like oh well i drew a land but that land meant seven so now here's an eight eight trampler all right very haste. important question how mm-hmm. many points does it lose for not being a precious pig i i'm just i i got a soft spot for moose yeah all right or elk uh this is definitely a moose i like large horned animals okay which I guess a pig technically counts as. It is a Tuska horn. <laughs> Let's not. How many hours do we have? Yeah, let me not derail us too much. <laughs> All right, let's move into gold cards. And the first one we want to talk about today is Anya, the Maid of Dishonor. This is a four mana, four or five legendary vampire for two, a black and a red. Whenever Anya and or one or more other vampires enter the battlefield under your control, create a blood token. This ability triggers only once each turn. And then you may pay two and sack another creature or a blood token. Each opponent loses two life and you gain two life. Four mana, four or five with an activated ability and the ability to sack a blood or another creature. It's, I mean, I don't want to call it Siege Rhino because it's not exactly Siege Rhino. You know, it's just happens to be a four mana, four or five with a whole bunch of abilities. And the ability to gain life and drain life. Yeah, I mean, anybody that's played this limited format had this pop across the table and they're like, oh, I lose. And then you lose that draft and then you queue up for standard and you fight the vampires deck and you're like, all these cards are bad. What are they doing? And then Anya comes down. (laughs) And you're like, oh, oh, I lose. (laughs) You know? Interesting. So was I... Am I sleeping on this card? And were you sleeping on this card? And then your 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 limited experiences has shown that Anya might actually be kind of bonkers. I mean, yeah, stuff stuff being broken and limited or or standard and whatnot, you know, isn't always indicative of sure. it being good in uh, Canlander. But I think it would benefit you know the community a, a, as a whole to think I'm getting my ass kicked by this card. Maybe I should consider it. Yeah, maybe I should you know consider it. And I think that this card, I mean, she has a home in vampires itself. She's well, I was going to ask, but like, 
what what deck does this go into? Because I don't think you're playing this in Mardu midrange, right? And well, is is wait, hold on, what? Like that is a two point life swing that lets you sack other creatures. I mean, the blood token part is whatever. Yeah, but yeah, she's yeah. just so big. Huh. Like this is the kind of card where yeah, if they, I mean, Krakasing it isn't great. Like it's still a lot of mana to put in. But I'm I'm looking at this card and thinking like I want to play this in a Rakdos mid range where I'm on like Soul Ring and Mana Crypt plus like Gta and Mind Twist or a Mardu mid range deck with Triple Moxin or even an Aristocrat's top end. Like I think this I I think she's got to be pretty good. That that ability just ends games and getting the blood token is just kind of like a uh, here you go. This will make them feel bad if they bounce it. Uh, so yeah, cool. I'm, I'm pretty high on this card. All right. I'm actually going to snag this next one because mm-hmm. I'm going to set you up for the cards after, which I think you have more to talk oh, about. Oh, please do. So next up, we have Blood Tithe Harvester. This is a two mana, three, two vampire for a black and a red winky face. I mean, lines up with the previous card. When it enters the battlefield, create a blood token. Oh my God. It's like they were made to, for each other. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and tap and sacrifice the blood harvester. Target creature gets minus X minus X where X is twice the number of blood tokens you control, but you may activate only as a sorcery. I think this card is fine. I think it has a very aggressive stat line. Again, if you're playing black, red, you're pretty happy to do that. It's a vampire. It makes blood. These are things that are getting increasingly relevant. And especially in the like one drop, two drop, three drop is where you really need a density of good threats. And we're previously lacking. It, It seems most vampires that we've been given in the history of magic are like four through six drops because they're giant big legendary creatures and getting more role players in those decks seems very important. And I think this is totally fine for that. And you mm-hmm. should give it a try. On an entirely different note, I was choking on my own words because I'm trying to stifle laughter. It's Dorothea Vengeful Victim. White and a blue for a 4-4 legendary spirit with flying. When it attacks or blocks, sacrifice it at end of combat. And then it has Disturb for one white and a blue. And the Disturb makes it an aura that gives the enchanted creature, whenever this creature attacks, you make a 4-4 white spirit creature token with flying that's tapped and attacking, and you sacrifice it at the end of combat. And then the obligatory Disturb text of if it goes anywhere, goes to the graveyard from anywhere, exile it. I'm kind of in love with this card, and maybe it's because I'm in love with Lurus and Caracas. Because... (laughs) Like defensively, this card, if you're a blue-white deck or a blue-white X deck, you know, Esper, Bant, Jeskai, anything, anything. Defensively, this is big, right? It can it can just soak up a whole bunch of damage. It, uh, you know, it dies immediately, but that's okay. Maybe we can get it back. Or more importantly, it dies at the end of combat. And combat's kind of funny. A lot of people skip over this. So like you could block with this, have it deal the damage, and then Caracas it back. Yeah, you could just crack it at damage step or, you know, at the end of combat with, when it's about to sacrifice itself. And then aggressively, this just hits like a truck, like it can kill <laughs> planeswalkers, it kills opponents, and you can do the same cute, like prevent it from dying and bounce it back, recast it, all that jazz. Or you could just let it die because you're, I don't know, if you're playing this card, I think you're likely also playing True Name Nemesis or Geist of Saint Trap. Uh, turning your True Name into a uh, Geist of Saint Trap. Or, or like, God forbid, you just throw this on like a core Firewalker. right like you're against like a blue moon deck or mono red and you got this firewalker but sometimes it's not enough you need to actually kill them then you put dorothea's retribution on it so (laughs) 
I think that, you know, in the high roll potential, there's a lot to it, but also just when you look at this car and go like, what is the worst thing that happens with this? Like, or the most boring thing? It mm. still just fills a role. All right. Now, real quick, mm -hmm. what deck wants this? Because I'm thinking from the point of view of blue-white tempo, and I don't love it because you typically want to land an early threat and then lead it to victory, right? I'm slamming this into Jeskai mid-range beep beep, like triple mock, triple Moxin, like Goblin Rabblemaster, Venerable War Singer, the new like Boros card, which is also a spirit that brings back the things, which includes, you know, bringing back your Dorothea that died because it returns mana value, not uh, its powers. Not power, right. Yeah, okay. So that this is also best friends with what's her name in red, white, black activation. Oh, Alesha. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I like where your mind's at with that. Uh, see? <laughs> I, yeah, I I think in a deck where you're just like absolute slam jamming and like play these cards that are impossible to kill and you can just have these busted mox draws and you play <gasps> True Name or maybe you're on a spread with Gta or whatever. Like this card plus Lightning Helix kills people. Yeah. Speaking of dead... <laughs> We got Edgar, Charmed Groom. This is a four mana four for legendary vampire noble for two, a white and a black. Says other vampires you control get plus one plus one. And when Edgar dies, return it to the battlefield transformed under its owner's control. And we have their coffin. At the beginning of your upkeep, create a 1-1 one, one white and black vampire creature token with lifelink and put a bloodline counter on the coffin. Then if there are three or more bloodline counters on it, remove those counters and transform it back into Edgar. So Edgar slices and dices. So if you're on a board with no vampires, you just get a 4-4, which is honestly not great. The Lord effect is nice, but you have a little bit of longevity there too with the backside. I, I think this card is fine. I think this card is cute. I think you mm -hmm. probably only want to play this card in dedicated vampires. Agree. It, it, yeah, it, it's a four mana Lord with like a cute upside and makes it harder to kill. I think it's slightly slower than, was it the Amonkhet gods that got put three cards down in your deck the the war of the spark versions of the Amon cat gods so about three turns right when it dies but at least this gives you bodies so that's kind of cool yeah i think this is one of the coolest design cards like i just love that this dude dies and then his coffin's just chilling there <laughs> but yeah I, I think you nailed it and uh, search as much as it pains me, and maybe I'll mention this card with Lion's Eye Diamond down the line. Oh, wait, no, never mind. This is a horrible setup because I, I don't know Alphabet, uh, which is uh, great. Hey, it's Aerith Tormented Prophet. Uh, one blue and a red for a 2-4. It's a legendary creature and it's a human wizard. It says, if you would draw a card, exile the top two cards of your library instead, and you may play those cards this turn. Now... Four toughness for a three drop, that's nice. You know, not dying to bolts doesn't go as far as it used to, but you're playing blue, you might be able to protect it with a daze. And if you get to start popping off, this card can do disgusting things. But I, I'm just not sold on this card. And the only reason I'm willing to like really look at it and try to figure it out is because Robin likes this card. <laughs> and... 
And I'm just like, I don't know. Cause you know, you can't, it doesn't do as many things with permission as you would like it to do. You know, if you exile permission on your turn, you're only getting it for that turn. It does let you play lands, which is pretty nice. May, like if you combine this with rituals and wheels and like really cheap cards, maybe like maybe this shows up in eggs, but I mean, it's, like, I don't think so. <laughs> maybe if I want to handicap myself with a, you know, give myself a little bit of a, help out the other people in the event. The, the downside to this is a graveyard is very, very valuable. Mm -hmm. And not being able to put cards into your graveyard means, you, you know, you're, the upside of exiling the cards has to outweigh the downside of no longer having a graveyard for Delve, for, you know, cards like Werebear that we were talking earlier that care about that, for your Snapcasters and your Gearhulks that you're probably playing in a blue deck. The only interaction I can think of is previously in the last set, there was what, like a black-red commander card that cared about playing cards from exile and gave oh. you a treasure token each time yeah prosper prosper and i'm wondering if there are starting to get more synergies specifically from casting cards from exile like there is the drake the blue red drake that cares about instants and sorceries and exile so that card could get kind of nutty pretty quickly with this but these yeah. are again these very weird like a b interactions which are harder to set up when you'd probably rather just do an a b interaction that kills your opponent Nail on the head, Serge. You hit the nail on the head. I figured it out. I figured it out. Robin is just obsessed with Crackling Drake. Always <laughs> has been. Dude loves yeah. to cast Tainted yeah. Pack with his Crackling Drake or just go, you know, fair on the card. Yeah. Which I do think that card is, uh, you know, works well with this and is certainly underplayed. But yeah, I I think you're right. Uh <laughs> I think you're right. All right, let's talk about Grolnok the Omnivore. This is a four mana three three legendary frog. For two, a green and a blue. Whenever a frog you control attacks, mill three cards, you know, assuming you control more than one frog. Mm -hmm. uh, whenever a permanent card is put into your graveyard from your library, exile it with a crow counter on it, and then you may play lands and cast spells from amongst cards you own in exile with a crow counter on it. That's the only part of the card, this card that makes it exciting. Because milling cards is good. Milling cards is really good. You love milling cards. But milling permanents and having them go into exile, again, as we mentioned, is bad. So the question you have to ask yourself is, how much extra value can you get from these exiled cards than you would from just simply putting them into there? And I, I think the frog is a little expensive. I think a lot of people will look at a card with these three abilities and think that that's a lot of text. That probably means it's good. Yeah. I, I would disagree. So... My two, my two favorite cards. I, I, I agree with you. I think that you don't really like. We have Gitrog. This is Gitrog at home, right? <laughs> Mom, I want a second Gitrog. We have Gitrog at home. Gitrog at home. <laughs> Stares at Grolnok. and look at it. Even has a tiny little arm. Hold on. So if if the Gitrog ate Thalia, mm -hmm. this ate this ate the other Thalia. <laughs> yeah. This also ate Thalia. Heretic. Yeah, smaller Thalia. Perfect. My. My interest in this card is that I I am going to accept that if they kill it, I have lost the game. Like, I want to get this into play. I want to cheat it into play. And it being a legendary creature means that that's a little bit easier, you know, if we're looking at cards like Gorio's Vengeance or casting, you know, Time of Need or whatnot. I guess there's other non-legendary cards. The, the point is, I want to cheat it into play, and then I want to mill myself. And when milling myself, I want to hit cards like Lion's Eye Diamond and Lotus Petal. Because decks oh. that play this card, I want to get them exiled. I want to cast them. Then they go to the graveyard. Then I get them back out of the graveyard in some way, shape, or form. 
You think Grawlnock might be the storm frog? <laughs> yeah, like I'm going to storm. <laughs> I'm going to like fast bond storm with this card. That's what I want to do. Like tin fins, fast bond storm stuff. I, I did see the potential for like some spice with fast bond with this. I just can't think of another way to put enough cards in my graveyard that I wouldn't just rather have crucible for. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like I don't, I, I will play this in a deck and I, I won't know what the hell I'm doing. Like <laughs> I, I hope my opponent goes, I guess I'm dead. I'm like, uh, oh, yeah, yeah I, good, I, oh, good. definitely. <laughs> Thank Would you, you like to concede? Let's uh, I'll, I'll buy you a Coke. Oh, the, wait, no, that's bribery. The point is there's, I think there's enough going on here that you can maybe abuse this, but it's fair application. Like you said, it's just not, you know. All right. All right. Enough, so. I missed the, I missed the eggs line. Uh, that's the one blind spot in my evaluation. Got yeah. Well, with the, with this card, it's tadpoles more than eggs. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, Halana and Elena partners, <laughs> two red and a green for a two, three first strike with uh, first strike with reach, excuse me, a human ranger at the beginning of combat on your turn, put X one, one counters on another target creature you control where X is Halana and Elena's power. That creature gains haste until end of turn. So kind of in the line of, you know, what we were talking about for Ulvenwald oddity is that I'm looking at this card and thinking about it for a hoof deck, pr primarily for red, green cradle hoof where I'm playing a bunch of mana dorks and I kind of just want a fair-ish card, you know? Like, it's a four drop that plays into the fact that I'm playing a whole bunch of tiny idiots out. It makes them relevant. And then later on, if I say, I don't know, play a primeval titan, then this can just say, oop, my primeval titan has haste, here we go. Or it could just be another four drop that's reasonable that can Eldritch Evolution into primeval titan. And then it also just deals with Vendillion cliques and opposition agents, hull breachers. Like it's a really annoying, a really annoying stat line, excuse me. So compared to Hamlet Vanguard, that was mm -hmm. three mana, one, one that you didn't want to accelerate out. God, you're happy to see this card early. Mm -hmm. This is absurd. If you get this down on turn two, which is not unreasonable, if you play it with any elves, it makes your board infinitely scarier. Mm -hmm. it, and it's I, counters. Like those counters yeah. stick around, right? Even later too. Like if yeah. you just draw this late and you have nothing else, like there's a certain dread <laughs> that comes over. Like the body's good enough that it might be able to tangle by itself. But any creature you draw after this no matter how bad yeah. or any yeah. fetch land for Dryad Arbor is oh going to be like, that's a real board. And yeah. this card, you know, even outside hoof, it holds equipment super well. So I feel like people are going to die to this card. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. All right. Next up we have Kaya Geist Hunter. This is a three mana, three loyalty Kaya Planeswalker for one, a white and a black plus one ability creatures. You control gain death touch until end of turn and put a plus one plus one counter on up to one target creature you control. The minus two ability is until end of turn, if one or more tokens would be created under your control, twice that many are created instead. And then the minus six, exile all cards from all graveyards, then create a one one white spirit creature token with flying for each card exiled this way. Thinking. <laughs> I mean. You got, you got in initial thoughts? Yes aristocrats yeah actually like just for the minus two there i'm just picturing this uh, like as soon as i read the minus two ability it was this and lingering souls oh surge you helped me out with what seems to be some kind of like snake oil salesman pitch where <laughs> no young man i wasn't even talking about the minus two i was talking about that plus one what well it because it gives your whole board death touch 
And that's really annoying and good. Yeah. It's only on your turn, but this also means that all your stupid Doom Travelers and Dukatong <laughs> Thalids can push through if they're in their, you know, human form or whatever you want to call it. If you happen to have tokens, which Aristocrats usually does, you can make them slightly bigger. Or if you play any number of creature that pings when things die, like Mayhem Devil or Judith or Goblin Sharpshooter, giving those death touch Ooh. is pretty gross. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Oh my god, holy moly. I was kind of with you for like the force through damage, but yeah, the uh, the sharpshooter line, holy crap. And I think there are even more. Like that's the like I I mean, God forbid, I don't know if Mortar Pod does the damage or if the germ does. A goblin bombardment isn't a right. creature, but we'll figure it out. Like <laughs> there there are just ways to take advantage of this plus one that are relevant to your game plan. But then also, like you said, the minus two, right? You're a deck that makes tokens. Yeah. But can also yeah. just make tokens without a mana investment just like an onboard i sack my things so even if you're just like well i don't have a way to play this minus two and make tokens in the same turn off a spell you can at least play this minus two and then sack a thing and make a bunch of spirits yeah i i, I hmm. my my only complaint with this card which is why i was hesitating on it is it, it misses some of those fundamentals that you're hoping that a planeswalker do like it doesn't make its own body it mm -hmm. this is a card that is 100% synergy and doesn't really offer anything on its own. Yes. Which which brings its score down. But you're right, in in the right home, right? And something like Aristocrats, you're just like, oh, oh. <laughs> yeah, I think likely you wouldn't label this as a good card, but when you play against it in the in the one deck or the yeah. two, you know, those yeah, decks, yeah, yeah. it's it's monstrous. Yeah. It's monstrous. Speaking of monstrous. <laughs> <laughs> it's old Rutstein. He's not so much a monster as much as he is just like an old man. He's just doing his best. He's just a peasant. Yeah, he's literally the Innistrad version of the merchant from Resident Evil 4. Wait, how can he be a legend and a peasant? I'm like the flavor judge at. I have questions. What about folklore for the for the working man, Serge? <laughs> old Rutstein is one black and a green for a 1-4 legendary creature, and it's a human peasant. And when it comes into play or at the beginning of your upkeep, you mill a card. And if a land card is milled, you make a treasure. If a creature is milled, you make an insect token, a 1-1 insect. And if a non-creature non-land is milled, you make a blood token. What do you notice about two out of three of these tokens, Serge? They're artifacts. Uh, what is with you and your egg brain? Man, come on. Yeah, I did not notice that. I did not notice that. Is Academy splashing green black now for old Rutstein here? No, well, let me let me clarify because I resemble that remark, but I also take you know, I am insulted by it. It's it's not egg brain brain. It's that you know why Clarion Academy is a messed up magic card surge. Yeah, because yeah. it adds two mana. Like that's that's like the that's it. Like Clarion Academy is a messed up card because it adds two mana, and it doesn't take that many artifacts to get it to add two mana, especially when there are tokens. And we've seen a resurgence of, or not a resurgence even, we've just seen a whole bunch of cards that generate clues, blood tokens, treasure, yeah. whatever it may yeah, be, yeah. right? A tireless tracker, tireless provisioner, a old Rutstein, of course. And they all just poop out artifacts for you just kind of playing the game, and they are just annoying value engines by themselves. I mostly, you know, bring this up because locally at uh, Yellow Jacket Comics and Toys, there has been a, a local player, shout out to Davey B, who has uh, been really dedicated to these artifact decks, these uh, Mox plus Tolarian Academy decks. And 
it's you know playing out urza lord high artificer and cards like tireless tracker provision or whatever it may be just making artifact tokens means you get to do some pretty broken things with your mana and also just not worry about dying to you know red decks because well this card's a one four that could also make one ones so i think you play this in a deck where you want to be annoying and also with smokestack <laughs> surge. Yeah. Well, I was also just thinking about the shell that you're talking about. Some kind of deck that A, wants tireless trackers, tireless provisioners, probably that fey offering if you're getting really mm-hmm. greedy here. And then also just produces a million mana off of Academy. Mm-hmm. But that's my brain of taking two decks, which are probably good by themselves and trying to smush them together. And maybe they're not good. <laughs> But it sounds sweet, you know? I mean, I, uh, that's fine. That's just part of the process. You gotta build, you gotta do that and then be like, wow, this is bad. And then, you know, you work from there. (laughs) There, There's a spark. There's a, there's, there's hope. Yeah. I mean, it's also just a legend that doesn't die to bolt and is pretty annoying to Caracas. No, I I have to try it now. I have to brew a deck. Thanks, Ben. Thanks. No, I mean, you painted it in a very favorable light and it does seem actually just really cool. You're welcome. You're so damn welcome. <laughs> All right, next up, we have Runo. A Stromkirk is a three-mana, one-four legendary vampire cleric for one, a blue, and a black. So we've had four vampires now and four different colors, which is, mm-hmm. it is what it is. Mm-hmm. Anyways, blue vampire, flying. When Runo enters the battlefield, put up to one target creature card from your graveyard on top of your library. At the beginning of your upkeep, look at the top card of your library. You may reveal that card. If it's a creature with mana value 6 or greater, transform Runo into Krothus, Lord of the Deep. Uh, Krothus is a legendary Kraken Horror with flying. It's a 3-5. And whenever it attacks, create a tapped and attacking token. That's a copy of another target attacking creature. If that creature is a Kraken, Leviathan, Octopus, or Serpent, create two tokens instead. That was a lot of words. So how do you feel about the the largest insectile aberration they've ever printed, you ask? Thanks. Great question. I I don't like this card. Mm. I think the front side of this card is pretty expensive for what you get. I think any deck that's trying to do cool things with six drops are doing cooler things with six drops rather than turning a 1-4 into a 3-5 and then trying to clone them when they're play. I think at that point, just play Reanimator. Yeah. I think this is likely not as good as I want it to be, but I feel like this card also will just, this is the kind of thing where we'll both lose to it in two years and it'll be, and then somebody will be screaming like, I was right. I was right the entire time. I don't think I will. Really? I'm going to go out there and put money onto the fact that I don't think anyone is ever going to kill me with Runo unless they specifically go out of their way at a convention to try and make it happen. I don't, I don't think this is a card that people are going to try and brew around would you like to put ice cream on it oh absolutely wait are you gonna oh no i and, and, <laughs> and I'll, but i won't do it i won't do it outside of what i'm going to pitch right now all right because i do right. i'll tell you why i like this card all right tell me why you like this card Gurmag angler costs more than six uh murktide regent tomb stalker both cost more than six hooting mandrills even cost six Remember, remember Jer's famous slogan, don't put bad cards next to your good cards to make your bad cards better. Wait, the other way around. You don't need bad cards to make your good cards better. Those cards are already fine by themselves. You don't need Runo. Yeah, but I think the deck 
a deck that could play that might need Runo. It just Runo happens to do a thing with like you play it in a deck that has these big idiots that you'll be able to flip it with and be able to flip it with relative ease. But it also just does a thing that these decks might not be able to do super well, which is it stops you from dying against Ragavan and Goblin Guide. Like it's a one or and it eats up Vendillion cliques and brazen borrowers and even mind sensors. Like a one four flyer ends up soaking up so much damage and so much combat that I think that it fills a role that is currently unoccupied and in dire need. Because right now your strategy for that kind of deck is either dodge red or <laughs> get really lucky. Get lucky with like an early you know, Inquisition and hit their threat. Recall them twice and I collect a Brutality or something. You so know? you like this exactly in like blue-black Delve? In a blue-black Delve deck or in like a more modernized blue-black control deck that is going to, you know, your blue-black control, but the most expensive spell you're casting is Jace the Mind Sculptor or Factor Fiction. Interesting. All right. All right. Well, that that's a real deck. All right, we'll see. I'll, I'll I'll start counting how many times I died to Runo and we'll, we'll, have, we'll have an ice cream tab. Great. If I started counting how many times I was going to die to this next card, I would not have uh, any time to try and build decks to not die to this card. This is Torrens Fist of the Angels. Torrens is one green and a white for a 2-2. It's a legendary human cleric. It has training. So whenever this creature attacks with another creature that has greater power, you put a 1-1 counter on this creature. You put it on Torrens. And it says, whenever you cast a creature spell, <laughs> make a 1-1 green and white human soldier token with training. <laughs> why is the token also a human oh i don't know why like it's just oh my like, god i mean i will say this it's an interesting fair version of monastery mentor yeah yeah you yeah know? yeah like it's cool i guess you know the the increase is permanent and they're not popping off with like ponders and lightning bolts and whatnot but it is meaning it does mean that like oh you drew a lanowar elf huh all right here's another body oh you drew a real big creature huh well i guess you could have another body too and like it's in the right colors to play this out with double moxin in, in a deck that could play more equipment than, you know, your other color combinations usually. So even if you have like Torrens and a Llanowar Elf, you put a sword on the Llanowar Elf so your Torrens gets bigger. It's, <laughs> oh my God, this, I'm going to die so yeah. much to yeah, this. Yeah, this card's fantastic. Oh my God. <sighs> All right. The final gold card we're going to talk about today the Wandering Mind. This is a three-mana 2-1 horror for one, a blue, and a red. It has flying. And when it enters the battlefield, look at the top six cards of your library. You may reveal a non-creature, non-land card from among them, put them into your hand, and put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. This card's fantastic. Mm -hmm. It's a flying threat. It's got two power, and it, it doesn't impulse. I mean, six cards and a non-creature, non-land, is uh, that's a lot of cards to dig through. So when you're looking for like an evasive threat that has a pretty decent clock and and replaces itself, I mean like pseudo, I don't want to say pseudo tutors, but like that's a deep dig. Like that's mm -hmm. a lot of card selection. This card feels like an effort to help the public because there are still people trying to cast Augur of Bolus in this format. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just like, they won't stop. We told them they're going to whiff. They whiff all the time, but they keep saying, no, it hits occasionally. It's good against red. And mm. they're like, they won't learn. So let's print this. <laughs> and it just will like mostly guarantee the hit. Yeah. 
good card. Yeah, it's just solid. It's it's you know it's not spicy, but it's just good. You want to talk spicy, Surge? Oh, please. Although I think you will also find this card is good, I hope, or it'll at least wet your workshop whistle okay. is a better way to word that. Dollhouse of Horrors <laughs> is a five mana artifact that has pay one, tap, exile a creature card from your graveyard, create a token that's a copy of the exiled card, except it's a zero zero construct in addition to its other types. And has this creature gets plus one, plus one for each construct you control. And it gains haste until end of turn. Use it only as a sorcery. This might be, this card is definitely up there for my, like, people are either thinking this is just a commander card or they think it's abs- like, it's really good. It's it, like, I don't want to use the term busted, but I don't know. I just look six, ma- six colorless man on an artifact, like. Sure. Yeah, I'll I'll cover that. Don't you worry. We'll get there. That's easy. It's cute that you think that's a lot of mana, but don't worry, we'll get there, <laughs> sweetie. And then rebuying like at anything from Trinket Mage to Sundering Titan feels disgusting to me. I think this card's pretty good. The fact I mean the body becoming a baby is okay whatever but you're you know you might even have a couple of constructs in this deck already you might play it with voltaic keys i i you're in it for like the etb or for the utility like yeah i saw that's the part my my, my brain is racing right now when i saw this card i immediately thought about like hmm if sir i bet surge is on this card and if he's not which cards in like boros wildfire can i get him (laughs) to bring back with this so i look at this and my first thought is just like every Mimic Vat deck I ever tried to play, <laughs> right? You know, yeah, like you yeah. always wanted to live the dream with Mimic Vat of just bringing, getting some value out of it. Mm-hmm. And it never quite making it because it was way too expensive, right? Dollhouse of Horrors. Like you, are you playing, you play Inferno Titan in that Wildfire deck, right? Oh, you need finishers. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> uh, Sun <laughs> Titan, you're pretty happy with as well? Now. I mean, Inferno Titan being a 6-6 six, six is pretty big, but what if it were just a 1-1 one, one with haste? I think you're still happy. It's still doing 6 damage, right? Exactly. You get 6 damage immediately and then just mana sink. It's... Yeah. 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 So we're, we're thinking about this and it's weird. It needs... It needs such a... Like a niche shell. This is a deck that needs to have absurd amounts of mana because, you know, you need this 6 colorless mana, but also creatures with relevant abilities. Yeah. I think you want... You're, I think this is a Grim Monolith deck card. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Oh, I'm here for it. All right, I, I can talk about that for way too long. Let's move on to the Investigator's Journal. This is a two-mana clue. Exciting. The journal enters the battlefield with a number of suspect counters on it equal to the greatest number of creatures a player controls. Two and tap and remove a suspect counter to draw a card. Two and sack the journal to draw a card. Wheeler, this is just an egg, isn't it? It is, and they finally <laughs> acknowledged how many Magic players also just love to a, a point of insufferability um, among us and Werewolf, and they finally <laughs> made sus counters. If people are still oh, listening no. after that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, my initial read on this card was, oh, it's not good. But then I read the card and then I realized you could, you could, it, you just, you could have the creatures. Wow. I could be my, my own suspect, which means that playing this in eggs, a deck that 
can make a whole bunch of tokens or at the very least have a couple of creatures kicking around or my opponent has creatures because I'm not touching them uh, <laughs> means that it's likely coming in with, you know, at least like if this has one counter, it's great because then it's a single cheap artifact that will be able to draw me two cards, one for the creature, one for the sack. The sack puts it in the graveyard and does so without tapping, which is super relevant for uh, your Urza Lord High Artificers. It's a good two mana egg. Like we don't, we get so many bargain bin two mana eggs that, you know, we end up having to throw into North 100 and I have to say, here's why I'm not playing them. That it's nice to get a good one that has longevity and utility. <laughs> I, yeah, it, I think this card is, I can't, you know, wow, it, it means so much when you read a card in its entirety, which now that I think about it, I didn't even do that. I just played it in limited and went like, wait, why does it have three counters on it instead of two? Oh, oh. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Yeah. All right. Well, since you had the journal, I'm going to take a wedding invite here. All right. Uh, two mana artifact. When it enters the battlefield, draw a card. It's just another egg. <laughs> uh, well, no, it doesn't put itself into the graveyard yet. So, I mean, maybe there's more text. All right. And then tap and sack the wedding invite. Target creature can't be blocked this turn. If it's a vampire, it gains lifelink until end of turn. So it's an egg that can only sack itself if there's a creature. Mm hmm. And you are a deck that will play, as I said, tokens, and sometimes <laughs> oh, no. those are Urza tokens. But no, why? Why do this? Why do this? This. Why? Why do this, Wheeler? Why? Why do this, Wheeler? Well, not to stifle, not to stifle engagement, but let this be the lesson that if your two mana egg comes into play tapped or requires a creature to do anything to put itself in the graveyard, it might be a bad egg. James, play the horn, please. Thank you. But now for good card surge, are you ready? Oh, please. Because there's five of them. Uh -huh. And yeah, and uh, well, they all kind of do the same thing. It's the enemy land cycle of the... Do we have a nickname for these? Fast lands? Hold on, real quick. Let's get, let's get a name of one to get it up for James. Sure. Shattered Sanctum is the first one alphabetically, or at least in the collector order, because it's not alphabetically. Shattered Sanctum, it's a land, enters the battlefield tapped unless you control two or more other lands. And it taps to add white and a black. And there's a version of this for every other enemy color. So it doesn't enter the, it enters play untapped as your third land or higher. So the Scars land mm -hmm. come to mind yeah. as they enter play untapped unless it's your fourth land. Oh God, knowing that's just going to make you stumble on this one, right? Yeah, this is between this and also the, the AFR lands <laughs> where they AFR lands come to play untapped if it's land one or two. Right. Right. This right. is three or more. And yeah, I don't have a good name, but no, I don't know. I, I've heard I've yet to play with any of these in our format. There's simply no room behind Ancient Den and Seed of the Synod. But I've heard good things. Have you? I like it maybe in a two color deck, but honestly, the early turns are the most important in Canadian mm -hmm. Highlander where you really don't want to stumble. And this these lands don't help you there. Right. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, I. I, I mean, I wish I had more, but I think that your read on this, my read will be basically the same. Like we can, you know, this is what the lands do. This is where your man is important. Yeah. But I've heard good things. Yeah. I had someone who was playing Grixis say that they were playing the black blue one. And then they said, I need to get the black red one. And I huh. hope they do an enemy cycle. <laughs> and so... Okay, I could see this in control. I could see this in a slower deck. I would not play these in aggro. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm not, no aggro for me, thank you, but for <laughs> pip dense control or maybe even certain mid-range variations, I, I don't hate it. I don't hate so it. My only complaint with pip dense control, and I'm shocked the, the Grixis player said this, is these lands will not help you in the classic control problem of wanting either counterspell or him to Turok on turn two, mm-hmm. right? And, and that's, that's so big. But then again, those decks have enough lands that they're probably counting on never having a two-land hand with just yes. this in it, right? Yeah, the fact that this untapped, like later untap, just will let you cast whatever. Or even on three, right? Like if you if you have to fetch in such a way that accommodates your turn two counterspell or him to Torak, that might put you in a spot and can often do so depending on how many basics you're running where you can't slam your Dak Faden or your Crackling Drake sure. all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And so maybe these cards, considering how cheap spells are, they let you, like if you play it tap, you play it tap. You know, we've the Triumphs have kind of shown that you take that one turn off and it feels great. Your mana's perfect for the rest of the game for some reason and so maybe these kind of lands are in the same ish boat for that hey sure i'll have to get more reps myself one of these days we should do an episode where we just go through every single dual land ever printed and just rate them Ooh, i have a number one already (laughs) i think i I do too all right let's move on to the last card we're going to talk about today and that's the voldaren estate it's a land that taps for a colorless but you can tap it and pay one life. If you do, add one mana of any color, spend this mana only to cast a vampire spell, and then five and tap, create a blood token, but this ability costs one less to activate for each vampire that you control. I wonder if Wheeler's just going to start screaming, it's a land that creates artifacts off camera, but real quickly here, this seems like a no-brainer for vampires. Yeah. Which seems pretty straightforward there. The blood activation is kind of neat. I mean, we've talked about it, Blood tokens are good. The ability to loot a card is quite powerful. And, you know, being able to do something with your mana later in the game, like any land that has more than one relevant ability seems pretty high up there. Yeah, it it, it fixes your mana in a, in a color spread. You know, if I'm if we're playing Mardu or even if we're playing Rakdos. Just to be clear, like, like vampires are almost certainly Mardu now, right? Yeah, Mardu, Mardu and Rakdos are the two builds where I'm like, yeah. good good and so having good mana for that is important and you're a deck with lifelink creatures so who cares about the life loss and you're also (laughs) just you're also just in a color combination that typically doesn't have the best like you know card draw or filtering or anything and so making the blood tokens is it's going to be relevant it's going to be relevant but Serge, have you thought about how this is a land that makes artifacts (laughs) (laughs) Go, go on no i'm not playing this in eggs i perfect thank god all right final thoughts we've been doing this for the past couple set reviews where we just look at it all together and we ask ourselves what do we think and i think i need to try vampires because i remember god what was it four or five years ago we tried to threaten to get james in the canadian highlander and he said he'd only do it if we made vampires i think that deck's a lot closer and a lot more real oh yeah i mean if here let me post two lists in our chat right now sure sure get sure i'm hooked james yeah. i think james has a full set of mocks and right at this point yeah sure easy <laughs> yeah in the moon base fault i think that my i feel like they took i liked midnight hunt i think we okay. both like midnight hunt right yeah we yeah. both like midnight hunt you know had cool cards weren't too powerful and overall the theme and everything felt great i think they just took that and did it even better like i look at this card like there might not be a card that or cards that are as blatantly like oh wow 
poppet stitcher sure makes some tutus <laughs> <laughs> or you know that kind of thing and and there are but they're more utility things sure. you know? they're like the welcoming vampire or they're like uh, voice of the blessed where they pop into certain decks and you have stuff like storm tracer drake or the amalgam the format of dragon of red like things where you're like oh this will show up with some regularity and uh, they feel pretty strong but they don't feel too strong and i think that if this is a if this is the trend for sets just keep going (laughs) Just, just keep going so i think new disturb is less exciting i just don't think that's as relevant for our format like yeah. Yora, with the exception of maybe Dorothea that you sold me on it. But I, I think that card's an exception, not necessarily mm-hmm. the norm to it. Uh, yeah. I haven't had a chance to really play around with blood tokens yet, but I am excited to try. As you mentioned, yeah, giving the colors that don't typically have card selection more card selection seems very powerful. Mm-hmm. And more artifact tokens is just hilarious to add on top of your clues and everything there. Yeah. I You got a favorite card in the set? Not yet, no. Mm-hmm. But I mean... I was I, I didn't have an answer, and then all of a sudden I want to brew with old Rutstein. <laughs> say, hey, that's good enough for me. I mean, honestly, that was legitimately the first card from the set I bought. <laughs> that was yeah? the first. It was I went into Yellow Jacket on the Friday and went, Ed, my good man, one old Rutstein, <laughs> please. So yeah, I, I'm on team peasant. <laughs> I like it. I like it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, this has been this is fantastic. Sorry, I I, I my brain just wants to brew lists now. This is this you're like Serge, you're you're recording a podcast, please focus. All right, let's let's wrap it up. Thank you so much for listening to North 100, our three-part set review of Crimson Vow. I've been Serge, joined by the one-of-a-kind Ben Wheeler. As always, if you think we missed any cards, let us know in the comments down below. We love to read through them. You only say nice things. Please only say nice things. <laughs> a reminder that this set review is brought to you by you with your support over at the Patreon at patreon.com slash Thank you so much, and we will see you next time. Bye-bye.